Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside, and I always say this, once you come back on the podcast the second time, you're no longer a guest. I don't feel comfortable calling you a guest. You're a friend of the podcast. We had this man on a couple of months back. I wish more had changed in the world since last time we spoke. We were just discussing before we started recording. We're both still stuck at home, both in lockdown. He was the coach of the Bucks for five seasons from the late 90s through that Incredible Eastern Conference Finals run in 2001. Over 1,100 wins as an NBA coach. It's George Carl. George, thanks for coming back on the show. Kane, thanks for asking me back. Thanks. It's good to be with you. Let's talk some hoop. Give me a job in Australia for my son and I, and we'll be fine. Yeah, well, it's interesting. The Australian basketball season is going to be starting at some point, I believe. Although, uh, we'll just see what happens with the virus down here, but around Christmas time. So, I, I don't know. If you can get out to Australia uh, by Christmas time, maybe maybe you need to you need to watch some basketball here. The NBA will be done. But the one thing that has changed since last time we spoke, it looks like we're going to get an NBA season away. The teams are down in the bubble. How have you viewed this whole process? Because this has really come come about since last time we spoke. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm like a I'm a, I'm like a ping pong ball. I <laughs> one day I think it's I'm excited. I I want basketball, uh, but then there are days I wake up and I go, it's, it just isn't the same. It's, for a better phrase, it's getting to be like a circus. There's so many things that, you know, you're analyzing no fans. You're analyzing no home court. You're analyzing, is there going to be more injuries? What type of condition and shape are they going to be in? How, how much... The layoff is going. How rusty will they be? Uh, and some days I think the negative wins over the positive. And I'm a hopeful guy. Uh, I think the NBA is a extremely high character organization. They want to make this to work. They want to be a kind of a showcase for other pro teams on how to do it. But I can't deny there are days that. Uh, that I, I think maybe we should just shut it down and get healthy, figure this thing out, take two or three or four more months, and then start up in, in December with uh, next year. So yeah. I'm kind of on the fence. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. I guess the question for me that I'm asking you, and I've been, it's kind of crazy to me, this countdown. I've been, I've been on the show daily. I've been saying, okay, this is how many days until the Bucks play. They've gone down to Disney now. Uh, so now we're down to eight days until the Bucks are supposed to play their first scrimmage against San Antonio. It's kind of crazy to think about that. They've only been down in the bubble for a few days now. They started, had their first five-on-five practice only yesterday. So when you look at this from a coach's perspective, you've been through uh, training camps. You know how much time it takes to get these guys ready, to get these guys 
uh, back in game shape, chemistry. Uh, how how rusty are these guys going to be? Can you even can you even try and predict how these teams are going to come back? Eight, seven or eight games that they play mean much of anything. Hmm. Uh, you know, I think some coaches are going to try to get fine tuned and maybe get get ahead of everybody. And then I think the like the better teams like Milwaukee and LA and, and the Clippers and the Lakers and maybe one or two other teams. They're just gonna let that they're gonna let that those eight games kind of be their final test for the playoffs. There probably will be some gamesmanship in those eight games. Uh, you know, the teams that are in say second, third, and fourth place and they could move around a little bit, they might be trying to figure out who they wanna play. You know, they, I mean there's matchup plots going on right now. I mean, I remember the, my last year in Denver. We knew the worst team for us to play was Golden State. And at the last, the last game of the season, Memphis, Clippers, and us were tied. And a lot of scenarios, you know, but, you know, it just came down to, you know, we probably maybe should have played some gamesmanship and try to get four rather than three. But that's not how that's not how I coach. I don't like that way. They do that in Europe all the time. They maneuver for position in tournaments all the time. And I just don't think that's the way. If you're gonna play 80 games and then the last two you start messing around, I think the basketball gods are gonna slap you. But I think there's going to be some philosophy going on there. I, I know I know Rick Carlisle believes in it. Um, you know, I, I think D'Antonio has a belief in it a little bit. And I don't know, Denver, Denver right now, I think, is playing Houston. That, in the, in the past couple of years, has been a bad matchup for Denver. I think they, they this year Denver has beaten Houston once maybe twice but once and but for the last two years it's like seven and one that denver's lost seven games to houston so does denver want to play houston so will they say well let's try to get to two or maybe back to four and you're going to have a little bit of that going on and then you're going to have the bottom feeders trying to make make the playoffs uh so those eight games to me are like a it's like going to maui for the college tournament i mean there's going to be a lot of basketball i would say i think a lot of it's going to be average a little bit of it will be good and then there's going to be probably a little bit more being sloppy and maybe rusty so you know it'll be fun watching them play then but I'm not sure that we're going to find out anything until the playoffs begin. All right, let's talk some Giannis. So I remember last time, I remember right off the top, you said you love watching Giannis play, one of your favorite players to watch. So I wanted to ask you, from a coaching point of view, you were with the Kings back in 2016. That was really the last season for Giannis where he was kind of an unknown young prospect. People knew he was a rising star, but he didn't take that leap to all-star caliber player. He averaged 16 seven and four, and he was still getting you a steal and a block per game in that season as well. You guys played him twice 
The Kings played him twice. Sacramento won both times, actually, against the Bucks. I'm sorry to say to the listeners. But Giannis, in the first game, had 21 points. Then he fouled out in 30 minutes. In the second game, he had 17 points, five rebounds, two steals. What do you remember about young Giannis and coaching against him and uh, those times where you got the chance to see him up close? Uh, he was an athlete back then. He's more of a basketball player now. I mean, he was he was a little bit easier to cover because they didn't go to him as an offense as the number one F offensive weapon. It was kind of shared amongst everybody, uh, and he wasn't confident in his his offense. You know, I think right now the kid has gotten down the game to the basket as good as anybody in basketball, and. I think everybody's going to know what they're going to do. They're going to play elbows and boxes. They're going to double team him probably on certain areas of the court that he's very effective in. Uh, but I think he's learned from what happened last year and what he did this year. I think he's learned how to win games, even though he's going to see a lot of defenses tilted, uh, double team oriented, and maybe even zone oriented to stop him from getting to the rim. Yeah, so we saw Giannis this year definitely come into the season. I mean, he was getting up five threes a game. And I think this was a result of, uh, as you sort of said, learning from that experience against Toronto where uh, a lot of the times he would dribble in, and this worked all regular season, but he would dribble into a point, all of a sudden he's got three guys around him and he has to make a decision. Uh, the Bucs weren't able to capitalize from outside and that ultimately ended up hurting them. But what's the biggest adjustment for him that he has to make from regular season to, pl- to postseason basketball? You're talking about, obviously, one game through to a seven-game series. Um, you know, I, I don't think you want to put any statistical priorities on him. I think what you want to do is my philosophy over the years of playoff basketball is MVP-type players can win you two maybe three games of the series. You can't expect them to win all four. So I think he's got to figure out how how and when that he's, he feel like he's dominating, take over and win a game. But people don't understand, four wins are hard. It is hard. The first win is easy. No, it's not easy, but it's hard. The second one's harder. The third one's even more harder. And the fourth one is the hardest. And I, I think the process of what he went through last year will help him. Because, you know, in the finals, it's probably not going to be a dominance. It's going to be somebody wins game one, more than likely, the other team's going to win game two. And there's going to be these momentum swings, these mental adjustment swings. Uh, there's going to be maybe rotational swings. Uh, matchup swings. There's all little things, and he is going to be the key to all that because he's a great defensive player, and they're a good defensive team, so they're going to be making adjustments. But everything is going to be predicated on whoever plays Giannis, what they're going to do. Are they going to let him get 40 and stop everybody else from scoring? Or are they going to double-team Giannis? And make everybody, you know, make threes. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure Milwaukee's three ball is an NBA playoff proven. You know, I think you've had some good guys that can shoot it. 
And the guy I'm probably talking about most is the Middleton. I mean, are we going to get the regular season Middleton? Or are we going to get the play uh, a, a really good all-star caliber player Middleton? Uh, I think Bledsoe's going to step forward. And so let's just say Giannis plays well and he gets you two and a half wins. Where is the one and a half win going to come from? Now, as the series goes on, the best player has to do more. But early in the series, if he could get Middleton to win game one and he could win game two and they could go up 2-0, that's an advantage. But, you know, all the playoff stuff has been based upon home court. <laughs> we don't have home court. You know, and so I don't know if what I'm talking about even makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, so that's a good point. So uh, I want to get to Middleton here. I want to ask you about Chris Middleton a little bit, but you just brought up a really good point. So no crowds, no home court advantage. I know there's a theory out there from Bucks fans. Eric Bledsoe, you mentioned him. He's been a guy that's had some postseason struggles the last couple of seasons, uh, particularly on the road. And even Giannis last year during the postseasons really, really struggled at the free throw line. From your experience, and you've probably been around guys that have been in similar situations, potentially had some postseason struggles, and the crowd plays a big factor. I was in Toronto last year for those Eastern Conference Finals, and it felt to me like they were getting in the heads of the players with how rabid that crowd was. So can you see a scenario where players benefit from there being no crowds? Because I think we talk about the other. I think we talk about the other way more. I mean, players feed off the crowd, but also it can probably work uh, work the other way. No question. I mean, I don't know how much you like golf, hmm. but I've been watching golf without fans, and there's no momentum. There's no juice. You know, like a guy. I mean, this weekend, a guy made a 60 foot putt to win the playoff, and the guy right behind him made a 30-foot putt to time to go to the next hole. And the guy that made the 60-foot putt was probably 5% chance of being tied, and he goes on to lose the tournament. <laughs> now, if there was a crowd there and that guy made the 60-foot putt, the crowd would have went crazy. They would have went – I mean, it would have been bazonkers. And it could have shook the guy that was putting the 30-foot putt in the midst of this putt. So you don't have the, the screaming crowd or the free throw noise or, you know, the, the gamesmanship that comes with a home court crowd, the trash talking, the stupid things that fans do to help their home team. Nothing else going to be there. And I also see on the golf tour, and this might be good for Milwaukee, is the younger players aren't intimidated as much. The younger players, the inexperienced players, seem like they're more comfortable with being on in the moment. And now, playoff game, NBA Finals, NBA Conference Finals, the moment is still going to be big, but it's going to be different. It's going to be different stress-wise. It's going to be different from a mental enthusiasm or mental confidence-wise. Uh, you know, a guy that's having a bad series after game three, he probably could turn it around. But if he, game three is having a bad series and he's going back over to, to L.A. for two, two away games, there's not much chance that guy's going to turn it around. So I think there's some positives 
for the inexperienced team, which I put Milwaukee as one of those inexperienced teams. And Giannis at the top of the board. You know, right now, Giannis is the guy that's got the spotlight on. Okay, what type of what type of championship player are you? And I love his toughness. I love his eyes. I love how, I love his approach to the game. But uh, the history says it takes time. It takes time to learn about championship basketball. Yeah, no question. And this was the, the interesting thing last year. The Bucks made such a leap from where they were to a 60-win team. And I think it kind of got lost in the shuffle that the Bucks were making their first run. It was the first time they'd won a playoff series. And, and you certainly understand that, that it would have been pretty remarkable if that was a team that went through uh, to the NBA Finals and won a championship and, and coming up against a guy like Kawhi. He'd been there before, Finals MVP. I think that showed out. And Giannis himself admitted that. I remember the next day we went to the exit interviews and he was like, well, I've already learned. I already, I was watching Kawhi. I was playing against him and I was watching him and I was learning uh, from that. Uh, Again, I mean, you you speak about that. That's something you've sensed before with players, their first long, long run. Uh, They need to need to learn and need to have that experience. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, Michael Jordan took a while for him to win. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, right now, Giannis has won two playoff series and lost one. Uh, you know, I, I, we all know he's a top three, top five player in basketball. But the, great, the, the, the status of greatness comes with winning rings. And uh, I think I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't know how he feels about it. I hope he feels celebratory because he's done a hell of a job with his career. But, you know, if he fails, there's going to be some guys he's going to jump all over. So let's go to Chris Milton now. You mentioned him before. Uh, he's been a guy that in the postseason against the Celtics, uh, and you, you talk to Celtics fans, I mean, they think this guy is, is a Hall of Famer. He's historically torched the Celtics. Didn't have a great offensive series against the Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals, but he's an interesting case because Mike Budenholzer came to the team last year. Milton's always been a guy that's enjoyed Shooting from the mid-range, he's been a guy that really goes to work there. He's got a nice back-to-the-basket game for a forward. Bud came in and said, listen, we want you shooting threes. And he, and he made not only Chris Milton, but the whole team, let's get away from the mid-range. I need to set my offense, what I'm trying to do here. And Milton, by his own admission and also Bud's, was the guy that probably was put out, uh, taken out of his comfort zone more than anyone the first year round. This year, Bud said, okay, I'm willing to loosen the leash a little bit. You go out, you get to your spots. We've seen the mid-range go up. Uh, mid-range attempts per game go up. He's shooting 52% from mid-range. We know 50-40-90 is shooting, 20 points per game. He's had an incredible season. Have you ever had a guy like that where you've come into a team and you've had to try and set something and try and change the way they play for the benefit of the team? I think you have exceptions to your philosophies. Yeah. The mid-range, I think we analytically, we understand the mid-range jump shot is a bad shot. But the way I, way I coached it at the end of my career was uh, I want shots at 50%. If your stats say to me that you can make 50% of a mid-range shot, I'm okay with it. Now, there are going to be areas that probably say you shouldn't be shooting that shot. And we'll talk about that. And Middleton falls into that guy. In, uh, in Sacramento, my last year, Rudy Gay is a mid-range jump shooter. Uh, Daryl Collison, mid-range jump shooter. 
but both of them shot about 53% from the mid-range. So they qualify to take that shot. But if you're shooting 43%, you're not taking that shot. And so you, that's what I think what maybe Coach Bud did this year. He looked at it and said, I want him more comfortable. You know, I'll respect your mid-range. You respect my desire. You get better at the three. I'll let you shoot some jump shots. And let's get to the free throw line a little bit too. All right, George, before we move on, we need to talk a little bit about our friends, sponsors of the podcast, Bubbles Galore. Bubbles Galore is a leading bobblehead retailer in the country. They have a vast inventory of bobbleheads from all major sports leagues, including our teams, the Packers, Brewers, and Bucks, officially licensed by the NBA, MLB, and NFL. Uh, of course, they have the limited quantity triple MVP Wisconsin puzzle bobblehead that showcases Giannis, Aaron Rodgers, and Christian Yelich. It's unlike any bobble you've ever seen before. And as a Bucks fan, you might have some interest in the Greek flag Giannis bobblehead as well. Bubbles Galore can make a custom bobblehead for any occasion or event. Make sure you check them out. Visit www.bubblesgalore.com. Use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive free shipping. That's www.bobblesgalore.com and use the promo code locked on and you'll get free shipping. So two-time All-Star now, Chris Middleton. Uh, again, he's a guy you've, you've coached against, second round pick. Sort of came to the boxes that really the, the stake knives in the Brandon Jennings-Brandon Knight trade. Uh, we're going back a, a while here, so it's kind of funny to think about that. Middleton at the time was kind of a throw-in. Uh, coming off his rookie season in Detroit. Uh, how do you like his game? I mean, uh, he, he's a guy that obviously defends, but he can he can stretch the floor, shoots the threes, as we already spoke about the mid-range. Uh, underrated. He started to get some some attention this season, though, for sure, on a big deal. I mean, he's earning a lot of money now. I think he's just all, he's got to play more consistently as an all-star rather than just a solid, good player. I think, you know, as you said, he played well against Boston last year. But I didn't think he played very well at all against Toronto. I thought he hid. I think he, I think he was hiding a little bit. Uh, can't have that. Can't play scared. Can't play with fear. If you play bad, we can live with that. But we can't play without energy, courage, togetherness, toughness. And uh, I think he's. Uh, I think he's got to go out and find. You know, whatever, in round one or round two, find his comfort zone, find his confidence. And Coach Bud, if, if I was saying right now, I think Coach Bud should try to help him. You know, if I'm, you know, when you're, when you're going into a game offensively, there's certain guys that don't need any help. There's certain guys you just want to be low maintenance and get out of the way and know who you are. And then there's certain guys that need the coach's help. And I think from what I see, I would think right now, if I, if I was Coach Bud, I'd be doing a little extra studying on how to get Chris Middleton good looks and feel comfortable. So I have a question for you, and this is interesting. We've been jumping in on these virtual calls with the players and, and getting a chance to ask them questions from the practice facility and also now that they're down in the bubble. And Brooke Lopez was asked about communication on defense, and, and Lopez obviously has had a fantastic season defensively, probably one of the candidates for Defensive Player of the Year, but the Bucs have an elite defense overall, and he spoke about the communication a lot. 
For you, when teams come back to training camp, and again, we're talking about the limited preparation they have, is it more difficult to find that chemistry defensively or offensively when you're trying to run sets? <clears throat> it can be both, by the way, because I imagine it's both uh, pretty difficult. Well, I, the, the thing that comes to my mind is I always believe that the stronger defensive team wins. Uh, that doesn't mean statistically, but there's a confidence that comes at the end of the game that I think Toronto showed us last year that Toronto's mental toughness at the end of games was pretty high class, not only against you guys in Milwaukee, but also in the finals. And, okay, give that to Kawhi, give that to Lowry, give that to Coach a Nurse, whoever you want to give it to. But there, there's a confidence that comes with defense because offense in playoff games can get, can get control. Offenses can kind of be figured out. And so my thing would be, and I don't even know the answer to this, uh, I would say Milwaukee, can they create some offense with their defense? Can Bledsoe, Matthews, can they have some schemes, get their length into the game, get deflections, get some turnovers, get a high degree of block shots, and also do what they do well is cover the three. Um, you know, the three ball has gotten very, very important. And in, play, in a close game, it's even more important. Yeah, so the Bucs, uh, and I've got some numbers here, so I want to read these out. Field goal percentage, and this is shots defended, so this isn't, uh, you know, your transition plays, your, your runouts, those type of buckets. These are, these are mostly in the half court. These are the shots that are defended within six feet. The Bucks opponents are shooting 50.7% at the rim. Now, that's a, this is a pretty damn impressive number. The second-ranked team in the league is the Toronto Raptors, and they're at 57.3. So that's, that's the difference there, and that's how elite the Bucs have been at the rim. If, uh, and this is including guys that have played a minimum of 40 games. The three top players in the league, Giannis is defending at 41.9%. We know he's elite. We know he's an elite rim protector. Second and third are the, are the Lopez twins. Funnily enough, they're both at 44.1%. So the Bucs have elite rim protection. When you're looking at playoff basketball, though, you spoke about the importance of the three. The Bucs have had a tendency at times, because they are so focused on closing down the rim, of allowing open threes, open jump shots. And, and in modern basketball, it's almost a, ga- a gamble. I mean, you have to <laughs> – offenses are so good that they're going to get something. Do you like that general premise the Bucks have of sticking with that, protecting the paint at all costs? Yeah, I think the integrity of the game says it's a good idea. Yeah. I think the reason, the reason they can do it is their length. Their perimeter players are athletic and long, so they can help and still challenge. Uh, but Golden State is, you know, you have to understand, Golden State won all their championships totally based upon giving up the layup. You know, they were totally to cover the three and dominate the three-point line. And don't get me wrong, they're maybe the greatest shooting team ever when they, they've had all their shooters out there. Um, but it's something that the team has to buy into. And obviously, Milwaukee... And the big guys, and you know what you got is you got two centers that, that very seldom leave the paint. And then you got Giannis, who can roam around out there. I don't think they ever put Giannis on the best offensive player very often. 
they put him what I call in a roamer position to help everybody, to help and cover up mistakes and make good decisions defensively. Yeah, it's it's a good point you make because I know and Bud's been criticized over time and I personally think it's a little bit harsh because when you look at the guys that Bud's come up against with his teams in Atlanta it was LeBron and and yeah I mean if you're going to say yes the Hawks won 60 games but that Atlanta team didn't really have an MVP caliber player who was their best player maybe Al Horford uh, Paul Millsap Joe Johnson great players but uh, at that point it's not a Giannis so when you lose to LeBron I don't think that the coach yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult to put that on the coach. Last year against the Raptors, you're right. I think a complaint from the Bucks, Bucks fans was that Giannis didn't defend Kawhi one-on-one enough. Uh, they left it a little bit late to go to that matchup. One-on-one, he did pretty well. So there's balancing, trying to, trying to keep energy a little bit. This is the postseason. Do you just say, listen, we're playing the Lakers, Giannis. I know this is going to be hard. You're the MVP. You're going to defend LeBron on one end, and he's going to defend you on the other end because we haven't seen that matchup a lot in the couple of meetings with the Lakers in particular? Well, I'm a believer that you got to rest a guy that you're putting a lot of, a lot of importance to. Okay. Uh, early in the series, I'd probably go Wes Matthews, VA assignment, and then decide in the fourth quarter if I want it to be a one-on-one game. Um, but as the series moves on and it, it stays even, then I think you got to push the button someday and say, hey, it's Giannis versus LeBron. It's Giannis versus Kawhi. That's the way it's going to be. And you and you coach the game that way. And it, it's it's not hard, but I think mentally, you're 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 taking the pulse of your players and your team early in a series. Who's confident? Who's feeling good at the offensive end of the court? What defensive matchups make sense? I remember a long time ago. I play, I had three really good defenders. I had uh, Derek McKee, uh, Gary Payton, and who else did I have? I had one other good guy, one, one other good player. And we were playing Hardaway, Mullen, and Richmond. And the matchup that we started with in game one was totally, we were wrong. But by the end of the series, we had it figured out. You know, we had, I think, Derek McKee covering Hardaway. A six a six ten guy covering Hardaway, so we switched everything, and so you they're going they're going to have to figure out what works, what strengths you want to take away, and and give up something to take it away, and I think Giannis has got to figure the same thing out of the offensive. What are they doing to him? How many guys are they sending at him? Where is the open man? And then getting your best shooters taking the open threes so as we i got a couple more here for you i want to go to each conference so when you're looking at the east the bucks right through the regular season pretty dominant toronto uh in the second seed and and really the raptors have been ravaged by injuries all season long it's actually been a, a pretty remarkable effort for them to stay in that second seed what team outside of the box do you like if you and this is this is um I'm guessing here. I'm going ahead and I'm suggesting that you think the Bucs are going to be in the conference finals. But what other team in the East are you looking at and you think can really, really challenge the, the Bucs? Oh, I'm a, I think Toronto has not been given the respect. I don't think the injury problem has been a negative for Toronto. I think it's been a positive. 
because all their young players have gotten opportunity. They got opportunity to be a star. And the Salakam kid is that guy's good. And he's coming. Now he's not as good as Giannis, but he's coming. And I mean, he's not Kawhi yet, but he's coming. And the one the fleet kid, he's good. <laughs> and he believes he's good. He's got a heart, a big heart. So I think Toronto has grown in this series in this season. And they have no fear. They they have no fear of anybody. So I think they've been under undervalued. Talent-wise, I think Philadelphia is scary. And then I but I think Philly and Boston get a lot of love. But I just don't think they can win. I don't think they can win three series to get out. I don't think they can. I think they maybe have a, a good one, still a second, but I think they'll run out of gas in the third. What about out west? Are you locked in like many to thinking it's uh, we're heading for a Lakers-Clippers collision course? And keeping in mind, I mean, the Lakers lose Avery Bradley. Uh, obviously, he just started traveling to Disney, a pretty important player, particularly defensively. And now uh, Rajon Rondo. Uh, is out with this uh, thumb injury. He's a chance to return. They're talking eight weeks, so that's the second round around the conference finals, I believe. I'm not on the L.A. train. I'm tired of L.A. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't, you know, it, it seems to be more of a soap opera for me. All year long, we have the Lakers, Clippers, and the Lakers have probably played better. The Clippers kind of messed around with the season. But I think in the West, I'm hoping. I'm rooting. I'm rooting for a surprise. Yeah. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's Dallas. I don't know if it's Denver. Uh, you know, I, I just think you know I'm not a, I'm not a big Portland fan, but they got they got their big guys back. They could be better. Um, I'm not big in Houston. And, you know, everybody wants Zion to make it to the AC before we get Zion LeBron. I hope that doesn't happen because then I, I'm going to go back into the conspiracy theory <laughs> that it's fixed. Uh, but I, I just really feel that LA and LA, the two LA teams are better than everybody else. If they play their A game, they're going to make it to the finals. I tilt towards the Clippers. A little bit because of their defense. Uh, I think, but the, the Lakers have been good defensively. And what the Lakers do better than the Clippers is pass the ball. But I don't know if they shoot the ball well enough. As where LA has, they have three guys that can put 40 on the board. I mean, that's, that, Kawhi can get you 40, Paul George can get you 40. And that guy off the bench can get your point. Lou Williams. Yeah, it's pretty scary uh, defensively on the wings when you have Kawhi Leonard and also Paul George as well. It's, it's a pretty terrifying thought uh, for a lot of teams. And even the Lakers, a couple of guys they can throw at LeBron. So let me ask you this question. We've seen the guys down in the bubble. And I, I don't know how much you've been keeping an eye on what the guys are doing down there. But my question for you, if you have to go down there for four months or however long it's going to be, we see guys are fishing, they're playing table tennis, they're playing bags. What would you need to do 
what's the activity you would need down in the bubble to keep yourself occupied for four months? This is a long time. I feel like the novelty might wear off. They all look pretty happy at the moment, but I think, uh, I think it might wear off. Uh, I'm, I'm going to show you all my Milwaukee hats. <laughs> yeah. Swap the, hey, I've got a Brewers hat on as well. So we've swapped bucks for the Brewers. I like that. And then I got, I got a red, white, and blue Milwaukee buck hat. You are, you are set. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm in the bike riding. I don't know if they can get off and go out on a trail bike ride. That would get out in nature a little bit. My thing is nature. Yeah. I think, I think the other thing is being able to get away and not, not be constantly nitpicking what's going on. I think the team that can find their focus with, with enjoyment. Now, that's hard to do. I understand this is, this is a business. This is why you play. And the guys that know how to relax in a day off, whatever you want to say, take a walk, meditate, uh, play, play cards, to just get, just get relaxed and let, let the game – I think I think a lot of times in playoff basketball, we I think a lot of a lot of coaches overcoach, and a lot of players get overstressed. And I found out later in my career, is relaxing them can win you games. Just trust them as a coach. Trust your team. You ask them to trust each other. Now it's your turn to trust them. Well, it's an unknown. But we don't have long to wait. It's, uh, it's, it's strange. I agree with what you said at the start. It, I, I don't know how to feel about it, but basketball is going to be on the TV. It's going to feel like a summer league with the league's best players. Uh, games all day long. It's going to be really strange. But uh, I'll definitely be watching. I'll say that. Well, I think it's a little bit like... I don't know how to compare it. It's, uh, it kind of reminds me of a tournament. Right. It doesn't remind me of a season. Yeah. I mean, we got these eight games, and then we're going into the playoffs. And to try to sell it, sometimes I think players are saying this is going to be harder to do yeah, yeah. than to win a championship. Other people are saying that, you know, you know this, this is going to win it. You know, one thing that, that I haven't talked much about, and I really don't, I, I don't have a lot of evaluation is benches help you win championships. And that's why I think the Clippers have a chance because their bench is by far, by far the best bench in the NBA. And Milwaukee's bench, little shaky. Lakers bench, now that those two guys are out, a little shaky. Um, but I, in the West, as I said, this could be Dallas's time. This could be Denver's time. Uh, I think you're going to see someone in the West play well in round one and ride into round two, scaring some people to death. Uh, listen, I, I will say this. Out West, it looks like at the moment, unless the Clippers are able to do something pretty remarkable in this eight-game stretch and the Lakers really drop off, it looks like whoever finishes in that seventh seed at the moment, I believe it's Dallas. Really good team. That's a good team. 
they're potentially playing the Clippers in the first round. So I will say that I think the, the Clippers are in for an uncomfortable first round, which I think if you're trying to win a championship, uh, maybe in this situation it's a good thing if you can get through it. I don't know. But uh, it's going to be a, a tough first round for that team that finishes second out west, which is, is looking like Clippers. And, and sign me up. Sign me up for Clippers Mavericks in the first round. I'll watch that series. But who does Houston want to play? Uh, I, I tell you who they don't want to play. That I don't think they want to play Utah. Utah is the is the team they've they've had issues with over the years, right? Yeah, and we haven't even talked about Utah because yeah. you got. I mean, you got Mike Michael Michael Conley had an awful year, and I want you to know I think Michael Conley's a hell of a playoff player. So can he find his legs early, and can Utah become the Denver or Dallas that we're talking? I think Houston wants to play the Clippers because size-wise, the Clippers don't hurt you. Yeah. Size-wise, I mean, they're they're that's going to be a small ball game uh, all the way. And uh, Harden, uh, you know, Westbrook. I I I I don't know who Houston wants, but. In the same sense, Houston's dominated Denver. Uh, but will the Clippers, can Denver go by the Clippers? So could Denver get to two? I think those are the ones to watch. You got, you got Denver and Houston. I think Utah's going to get four. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you got, you got Denver at three. I don't know, Houston at six. I don't know Utah and I don't know I don't I don't know what the matchups are, but I just think from two to seven in the West, that stuff we were talking about about playing some games, figuring it out. I think that's going to be out there. All right. So before we wrap this up, I do have to ask you about the podcast Truth and Basketball. Uh, it's been rolling along nicely the last couple of months. I, I spoke about this one on this show in particular. Uh, you've had the, the race and basketball episodes that you've been rolling through for the last month. You had Darvin Ham on, Bucks assistant coach. Uh, everyone listening to this podcast knows that Darvin Ham is, is a, a fascinating person to listen to, uh, whether he's talking about basketball, whether he's t- talking about his life experiences. Uh, that episode in particular was fantastic. Uh, what, what's coming up and how have you enjoyed? Uh, this was a new thing last time we spoke. So how are you enjoying the show? I've enjoyed it. I mean, it gives me a time to kind of expound and elaborate and go deeper and go bigger and fuller. But the race stuff is pretty good. Yeah. I highly recommend Darvin Ham. We had Dwayne Casey and we had Wayne Embry. So we had those three guys talking for an hour on anti-racism and what's going on in our country today. They were dynamite. I learned so much. I, Darvin's was very emotional. Very angry. Uh, Dwayne had a little bit more of a, he's from Kentucky, a little bit of a Southern gentleman, but angry, still really angry. And what I loved about it is Wayne Embry was this 83, I think, man, year old man. He's been in the NBA forever. Uh, lovely man to be around. And he brought a calm and a simplicity to it that I thought was really good too. So I highly recommend them. 
We're probably going to do one episode on the bubble with Ryan Rosillo mm. here in about a, a week or so. And then we're probably going to shut it down until maybe the final four or the final eight. Just relax for a while and observe, listen and learn. Uh, but I hope to keep the podcast socially active, very, very into what's going on with the, the anti-racism that's going on in our country. Our drives to make justice and equality and liberty, make it equal for everybody. Uh, I mean, it's a Black Lives Matter, but it's about equality. That's what they want. They want to be treated as equal. And I think not only the black man, the Native American, the Jewish person, the women, we got, we got to do a better job. I think in a lot of ways we got complacent and have failed that this country is made up of minorities. It's made up of diversity. And, you know, uh, you know white, white privilege and white superior, su- superiority, yes, it exists. And we got to wake up, stand up to it, and admit that we failed and move on and, and get better. So you mentioned the word equality. So just a, a quick note we've seen over the last day here, we know some of the players uh, having a, a message on the back of their jersey rather than their name, Giannis, that he is going to have equality on the back of his jersey. Uh, do, do you like the, this initiative? I know some players, uh, LeBron James, obviously most notably, is just going to have his name. He's not going to have a message on the, on the, on the back of his jersey. Uh, this was clearly a, a big topic for the players coming in about uh, almost stepping away from the streets and the protests and all the activism they've been able to do and now go down to the bubble. So uh, this is something from the league. They've obviously talked with the Players Association. Uh, do you like this? We are, we talked about at the beginning of the show about, I don't know what the word is, but our America is shaking right now. And I think being bold, standing up for what you believe and think, connect, communicate, listen, and learn. And then maybe we can find some answers. That's a good way to wrap it up, I reckon. It was fun talking to you today, George. As I said, last time uh, it was a, a trip down memory lane. This time we are able to talk a little bit uh, about the modern basketball. So, again, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. And like I said last time, make sure you check out Truth and Basketball. There's plenty of episodes. If you, if you haven't caught up with the podcast, plenty of listening to go back and check that out. Uh, George, really appreciate it again, my friend. Okay, Kane. Give me, give my son and me a job down there. <laughs> yeah, Let's we're see. gonna. As soon as, as soon as Australia starts letting in international flights again, we're we're gonna get you out of here. We're gonna get you out of here for the NBL season. Sounds good, Kane. Thank you very much. <laughs>